I'm super happy. Are you happy? Welcome to the BU Find Happy Podcast. Here you'll find tips and tricks to inspire you on your way to happiness, to live a courageous life of authenticity, and learn how to speak your truth with grace. I'm Michaela Johnson, and welcome to our podcast. Today's podcast guest is Melissa Krivacek. She is a life coach for the top 1% of America. I am talking millionaires, and she is going to blow your mind with her thoughts on the qualities that make up millionaires and the most successful people in America. Lots of what she said just got me thinking about the way that I live my life. I really hope you enjoy this episode. And guys, did I mention she's buddies with Elon Musk? Oh my God, check it out. You know, you've worked with, you've coached and worked with some of the biggest players in the nation. How did you get into that? How did you, I mean, obviously build your career to that place. Tell me a little bit about the kind of people you work with. Um, yeah, insight on that. Insight. Um, so I work with the 1%. I work with the people that make, you know, millions of dollars every year. They've been in business five years or more. They're super passionate about what they do. Um, and more than that, like... They uh, show up. They show up on time, every time, and they don't make commitments to things that they don't plan on committing to. So how this happened was I came from a town of 300 people in Iowa, and I did not know what I did not know. So I didn't know how to run a computer. I didn't know how to do social media. And I quickly realized that social media and learning the computer was my way to making the amount of money that I make. And what I did was I went directly looking for um, who already makes millions of dollars. So I'm listening to Success Magazine 12 years ago. By the way, that doesn't exist anymore. They went bankrupt. But in Success Magazine, there used to be a CD. And I remember um, Darren Hardy was saying that there was this guy named Claudio Maldovan, and he lived in Sweden and blah, blah. So I went to Facebook, I immediately put Claudio Moldovan. Well, that didn't exist, but Moldovan Claudio did exist. So in Sweden, they flipped their name. So I immediately connect with the guy, and we are chatting. And then I listened for every single person that Darren had mentioned, and I would go to social media and I would find them. Then I was like, hey, marketing. So in 2014, I wrote a book called Millionaires and Money, Sex, Sales, and Seduction. It talks about the correlation between sex and sales, how to seduce your spouse, how to seduce your prospects. And the reason I did that was because I personally wasn't a millionaire at that time. I had no idea kind of like what I was doing. I was still trying to figure the process out. But if I could get the attention of the people that I wanted to work with, then I'd be set for life. So I had to get creative in doing that. So I think you have to figure out, like, what are your cycle and demographics and how are you going to get a hold of them creatively? Because these are the type of people, the 1% that don't just pick up the phone and don't answer their own email. So you need to figure out, like, who exactly are you serving and how are you going to get their attention? 
I love that. And I, you know, in thinking about that, so much of what you said applies to what I do, obviously being a podcast host and author and things like that. You know, I'm always um, trying to find the best guests for the show that um, kind of align with the feedback I get from listeners like, oh, I'd love to have some, you know, here's somebody on this topic or things like that. But really what you said applies to any business. I mean, anything that you're doing. A hundred percent. So things that I would recommend that people do is find a podcast that uh, resonates with you or fits your demographic. Then go through the list of guests that was on that podcast. And those are your potential prospects. So use the guest list as your prospect list. I use podcast hosts as my pro- as my prospect list. So like if I'm reaching out to be on a show, it's because the host already fits the demographic of what I'm looking for. So wow. again, you have to know who you're looking for. So, so one of the things that I wanted to talk with you about when we were kind of prepping the show is, uh, you know, titles are a big thing that, that are given out in society. And, and I think they can be self-limiting in a lot of ways. Um, even if we just take the title of mom, I feel mom can be self-limiting in some ways. Like I'm a mom first, so I can't do these other things that I want to do in my life. I can't grow my herbal life business or whatever it is, you know, doTERRA or whatnot, because I'm a mom first and then everything else. So how do you feel about titles? How do you think they limit us? How do you think they help us? What's your thoughts on titles? So I think there's two different titles. There's the title that matters and then there's the title that doesn't. So have you ever seen um, someone show up as a parent in a child's life when they were not the actual parent of the child? Yes. This happens because people have an affinity towards um, just doing good. They don't care if they're titled mom or dad. They don't care if they're titled um, husband or wife. They show up because that is their means of communication. That's their level of connection to the person. And that's their um, commitment to themselves more so than anything else. And so I don't believe that you have to choose between making money and being a mom or choosing a business and having a child. Like, you can have and do all of these things. Um, It's not making a choice. So... Titles are tricky because, um, like, the United States military, for example, I just spent two days out on Fort Campbell's base, and they literally wear their identity by showing up in uniform every single day and doing all the things that they're told to do, so they don't make decisions. Whereas, as a corporate identity, for example, would make a ton of decisions, and in doing so, they actually form their identity. So at any point, we can change our title. And all we have to do to change our titles, change who we are as a person in our behavior. Now, obviously, this is like easier said than done. But my rule about this is what is easy in life will make your life hard. And what is hard in life will make your life easy. So yes, it's hard to work out. It's hard to drink water. It's hard to show up. The meetings, it's hard to do all the things that you promised, but in doing so, your life will be easy, you'll worry less, and you'll sleep better. But if you um, eat garbage and don't work out and say that you always, you know, don't have the time for showing up or you're late or you just don't follow through on the commitments that you make, your life is going to be hard. Like it just is. So 
you have to choose based on your title how you're going to show up. And at any point throughout your life, you can literally change your title by changing your behavior. Uh, it seems like a, I love the concept. It seems like a, like a big step for a lot of people. Um, it is. So start small, right? Like, okay, so get an app that says, like, I drink X amount of water. Just focus. Like, there was a time I literally went to water drinking school. No joke, Michaela. Like, so I go to water drinking school because I'm busy drinking soda. Like, I love Pepsi. It was my thing for many years. So I had to learn how to drink water. And it was challenging because I didn't like the taste of water. I didn't want to drink the water. Like, I had every excuse. It's the same with working out. Like, when I first started working out, um, it sucked. I hated it. So the things that are going to make your life easier are also going to suck. They're not going to be easy to implement. Right, right. I mean, I think about that even with like, you know, I've been having a lot of conversations with people lately about marriage. Um, I don't know. It just seems to be the theme during the holidays. <laughs> and, yep. um, mm-hmm. you know, they say, oh, you know, people talk about these couples that have no fights and everything's easy for them. And I'm like, is it though? Or are they just squashing how they feel about certain things? I mean, maybe these unicorns do exist that never argue about anything, but I feel like, I feel like marriage is hard and, but that it's worth it, you know, and that's kind of part of it. It's not supposed to be an easy thing. Um, yeah. So, and, and school, I mean, even thinking about school, um, whether people are going back to school as an adult or whether they're in school as a teen or a youth, it's, it's not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to challenge you to live your best life and to be the best version of yourself. Yeah. So this comes down to, to, to forgiveness. So if you are the perfect couple, it's because you can forgive easily. So for example, like your husband forgets your birthday and that was really important to you because every um, year growing up as a child, your parents made a big deal out of your birthday. They got you kids. They brought you to your favorite restaurant. And then this year suddenly like, what you expect to happen on your birthday doesn't happen because your husband didn't realize how important that was to you. Well, what happens is these little tiny uh, actions or inactions pile up. And the only way to get through this is forgiveness, because if you don't forgive, you will literally build a barricade. And it happens in relationships. It happens in uh, um, marriages. It happens in professional, like, professional settings. So it's super important, like, you just wake up and say, like, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, I made a mistake and I own up to that. And so for the the couple that says, like, I have a perfect life, it doesn't exist. They forgive a lot and they communicate at a much deeper level than um, a normal couple would. So how does self-love play into success? I mean, I know we're kind of jumping around here a little bit, but, um, you know, when people, when, when I think about success... I think about um, probably people who have overcome a lot to embrace what they believed they wanted in their life. And um, it takes a certain level of self-love and and kind of putting yourself first to achieve that. What do you think about that? Um, I think it's a great idea. <laughs> so I, I don't believe that you can take a bankrupt bank account and try to try to make something out of that. I think that you have to fill up the bank account. Um, so every single time I'm on stage, I have this little demonstration. It's a pitcher, and the pitcher's full of water, and then there's three glasses. All of them are equal, um, and like equal. 
pool in size, and then there's a littler glass. So when you wake up, like, you need to figure out how to fill up your husband's glass or your partner's glass. The next glass are going to be your children's. Then, obviously, after your children, you've already expended, like, a lot of what was in the original picture. So you go out into the world and you start pouring into others and um, making decisions and expending your energy in various different ways. And then at the end, you have a drop of water left. And I always joke around. I'm like, and this drop of water goes to your most beloved in-laws. And uh, um, <laughs> everyone laughs because they, they know, like, your in-laws are, like, top of the list for favorite people in the world. But... Um, <laughs> At the end of the day, like, if we don't get this energy back, it's really tough for us to be able to expend that same energy every day. But we have to because that's the world that we operate in, a very fast-paced world. And so I think, you know, meditation, um, going to work out, setting aside time every single night with your significant other, somebody that's important in your life, whether it's your best friend or whatever, to have a conversation or just, like or journal and get these things out of your um, mind and your body and your soul. Because at the end of the day, when you are able to fill your cup back up in a healthy way and you're able to take the time away from the, the busy chaos that's happening around you, you can actually give more and feel better about it. And so, like, you need to figure out. Like, for example, every single night I take a bath, it's not negotiable. Nobody should come in the bathroom during this time. Um, and I listen to meditation music. I have fresh flowers delivered every week. I put on candles. And that's just like 20 minutes for me to do me. And then after that, like every Sunday, I go get a massage. Again, it's not negotiable. I've been doing this for seven years. And everyone knows, like, that's the two things I do consistently to focus on re-energizing myself. And you can choose whatever you want. You can read a book. You can, you can do all kinds of little things or big things, things that cost money and things that don't cost any money at all, um, just to get your energy back. I, I really like this idea and I promote this a lot and I actually live this. Um, but I think sometimes it's easy to get guilted by other people around us. I love how you say it's not negotiable, but how do you hold up to that? Like, um, when in thinking about this, you know, your child, your spouse, your friend, your someone needs you or something important has come up that would normally fall during that time. How do you, how do you kind of like maneuver through that? This is not negotiable part. How do you hold firm to that? Um, you just do. It's kind of like, how do you not drink? Like, you just choose not to drink. Like, you just choose it. So um, many people that are addicted to working out choose to work out every day. And the people that are around them know that they're going to work out. So I choose to take a bath every day. And the people around me know that that's my choice. And that's what I'm going to choose. Um, and it's not that I'm neglecting them. They actually know that when I come out of that, like, they're going to have a better dinner at night. So... I'll give you an example of like when I first um, when I first got married, like I I said it was not negotiable, and I remember like he came into the bathroom and started doing something, and then had to go to the bathroom and all kinds of stuff, and I was like, "What are you doing? <laughs> like that is my space, and it's sacred space, and it's space that I've carved out for me right now. Like it is not for you to intrude upon." Um, if you need the bathroom, there are other bathrooms in the house. Like, you don't need this one. So, at that, like, point, I 
communicated how important this is to me and how important it is for you because it impacts everybody. Like when somebody's in a bad mood, there's no harmony in the house. Um, when somebody is, you know, throwing a tantrum fit, like you can't just continue to deal with this without actually taking time for yourself. So you need to figure out how to communicate to the others the value of these things and their impact on everything that's around you. Uh, this is so true. And, <laughs> and I think like back, just listening to you talk, you know, back on my single days before I was a mom and, and wife and all that stuff. And it was like everything, every decision that I made in the moment was mostly for me. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, and how many people have to go through that process of experiencing living life with other people's expectations, you know, and, and that sort of thing. I, I like what you said about the water glasses. I'm a big visual person. Um, I really like that, um, kind of visualization that you gave. And so your, your thoughts on that is that filling up the glasses or the pitcher comes from self-love, right? Oh, a hundred percent. Like you need to make sure that pitcher is full every single morning when you wake up. So you can do these things at night. You can do them in the morning. Like in the morning, like I'll spend time and I'll read the Bible and I'll meditate and I'll go work out and I'll drink water. But at night, like I'll take a bath and do other stuff. So, um, most people spend like eight hours of their day doing something like at the office or hanging out at the library studying or whatever it is, but they're really only producing like 20% of that time. So if you're only producing 20% of the time, that means that you only have capacity for 20% of the things that you put into your life. So how do you get capacity to do the things and accomplish the things that you really want? Well, you have to figure out how to get more energy. And the only way you can do that is filling up the pitcher every day. So, uh, so I, I'm kind of thinking about, you know, the people that you work with, what are the qualities of the top 1% of America? What do they look like? Oh, well, they look um, very international. Um, they are your, like, they're not going to dress up and strut, like, their vehicles or their um, homes or anything. They will tell you about the latest book that they read. They will tell you about how to get a deal. Um, they will drive a very modest um, car for the most part, but they're very private. Um, so they're not going to be found on social media, you know, doing their life about what they eat or anything like that. And they're highly invested in the people that are around them and the things that they do on a daily basis. So um, they're going to spend probably four to five hours either reading or writing a day. Um, they're going to spend the rest of their time in meetings and the following of it is invested in their families. And a lot of these guys have families and they're very successful in both managing their marriage and managing their business. Um, and there's no, there's like no negotiation on whether they're going to be good at one or the other. They're, they're good at both. Like if we take. So my question, so my question would be, so in, in kind of what you said there, um, I liked, you said they're focused on people around them. Yeah. Um, I heard you say they're passionate about what they do. I heard you say there's things that are non-negotiable. Yeah. How do they achieve that? How do they get there? By choice. 
choose what's hard to get what looks like it's easy. So um, Stephen Curry is a great example, one of the, the greatest basketball players of all time. Um, has four children, never chooses between his wife, his kids, or his career, um, but is super passionate about his sport. So what I tell people is that when you are choosing to like focus on the gym, you are focused strictly on the gym. When you're choosing to work, your your focus strictly is on work. So there is no balance in life. You don't choose balance. You choose unbalanced. There are going to be times where work is more relevant than going to your your child's soccer game or band practice or choir concert or parent-teacher conferences or whatever. And then there's going to be days where all of those things, the parent-teacher conferences, the soccer game, the choir concert, whatever, is far more important than work. So it's not a and or, it's a we have to manage both and therefore we're unbalanced. Huh. I, I mean, I'm trying to wrap my head around this idea. I, um, I can relate to a lot of what you're saying, um, having multiple lines that, you know, in business and in life and things like that, that I'm always kind of working on and always kind of struggling to find balance with. But I do agree to a certain extent that there are times when one requires more focus than the other. Um, in, in all the various different things I do. And it's, I do kind of feel like it's a constant. People ask me a lot, how do you, how do you manage all that you do? And, um, and my, my answer is by constant awareness. Like I constantly have to recognize, like my son is not getting enough me time. I am not being present enough in this relationship. And then I might make a choice to shut down social media, or I might make a choice to, um, play with him first and then do an errand or whatever I've got to do after. So we're going to sit down and play a game of sorry, or I'm going to read a book with him and then I'm going to do the laundry or then I'm going to follow up on that podcast interview or whatever. Um, so I feel like it is kind of a constant awareness of what's going on and it isn't always balanced. As a matter of fact, I don't think it's ever been balanced. I think I'm always yeah, weighted in one area, but then recognizing the pendulum has swung too far and now I need to bring it back to this thing <laughs> or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's just how it is, especially as women, right? Because we have, I feel like more responsibility than men. And it's not that it's like more in a sense that we're accomplishing more. It's more in a sense that we are responsible for more things. Meaning that like there are great dads. Don't get me wrong. Um, but when a child is sick, who does the child go to? It's not really the dad. Um, and so at that point, you have to choose to just stop whatever's happening um, because you have a sick child. And so that's, that's what you have to do. Like you do what you have to do based on knowing uh, your your child and what needs to be done that day. Um, and there are definitely some people in the world that will say, um, you know, I, I promised a business trip and I have to deliver on the business trip and that's it. And for those people, uh, that's fine, but that's clearly an unhealthy lifestyle. One of the things that you said 
um, when, and I just picked up on it because I'm sent, I'm sensitive. And I feel like I'm trained to hear these things is, um, okay. when I asked, what are some of the qualities of the top 1% of America? You, you specifically mentioned men. You said they're great husbands and dads, but they also are good businessmen. And so I was wondering what is the top 1% of American females look like? What is, what, are, what do they fit? What do they look like? So women, um, all right, so men own companies and women run them. So these powerful women are going to be like Sarah Blakely over Winfrey. Um, and you'll find like other people running around doing that, but they show up in a completely different way. And this is the balance between masculine and feminine energy. So feminine energy is being able to walk into the room, smile, not say a single word, and everyone knows that you're present. Like you don't have to say anything. So it's the way you dress, it's the way you act, it's how present you are, it's how much you're listening to somebody or how attentive you are. Um, these people drive minivans, honestly. Like, they're moms and they're busy and they're not worried about what they drive. They're not really worried about how they look. They're just confident. And they are very confident in what they can deliver. They're very confident in who they are. And I think the biggest thing is that they know who they are so they don't pretend to be anybody else and that is the thing that draws everyone's attention to them so like they could look a hot mess and still get attention wow that's an interesting because i had a woman on who kind of said the opposite she said that um she felt that they are always put together that they are always presenting in a way that says regardless of what's going in my going on in my life, I am here and I am being the best version of myself in this moment. And you're not going to see a side of me that isn't. So that's an interesting difference that I, I've heard it both ways, you know? I think the person that she's describing is the person that strives to be successful, but is failing at that internally. So the internal thermostat is saying, like, I would love to be put together, and I'm trying really hard to be put together, but I'm really struggling to find who I am and know myself enough to show up, um, regardless of whether or not I'm put together. The reason that I say that is because I was one of those people. So um, several years ago, I showed up on stage. There were thousands of people in the audience, and I said, when is this going to stop? And I remember that moment very clearly because for probably 10 years prior, like I showed up in heels and dresses and just like, I had to be very well presented, right? Because apparently that matters, but it doesn't actually matter. What matters more is that you have listening skills, that you're extremely communicative, that you are very attentive to the needs of the consumer and actually delivering on the promises. And I feel like, um, the people that show up in what I consider suits don't necessarily feel that way. They bring a completely different set of core values. And that's either good nor bad. That's how they choose to conduct business by showing people that they're well put together, but struggling internally. I would rather not struggle internally and not be well put together.
So these women that are in the top 1%, um, are they, are they hiring nannies or how are they balancing? And I know we've kind of decided that, that nothing's ever fully balanced, but how are they balancing all the responsibilities that they have? That's a great question. So I think some of them hire nannies and some of them don't. Um, it depends on sort of what they choose as a mom, right? Um, and some of them work and travel full time and others don't. Um, and some of them let their husbands be a full time dad at home and they pay for everything that has to do with the house and, and the lifestyle and others don't. So um, it's very dependent. Like, I know I personally like get a nanny for the middle of the night because I don't want to wake up. Um, and that was just a decision that I made. But during the day, like, I will be fully functioning, fully, like, fully aware. But sleep was super important to me. So we could rotate out, but then I knew that I would be lacking energy. Now, the other thing is, like, if you don't get a nanny or somebody to help you, then um, you choose to sacrifice other things because you won't have the energy to do that. So you have to choose where you're going to spend your energy. And, of course, I mean, they have people that mow their lawn, that do their laundry, um, all of those things. And at the end of the day, some of them have nobody to do any of those things, but they enjoy doing them because it's their downtime away from their careers. With what mindset do they come at big decisions? You know, I think this actually depends on how you grew up. So, like, for me, I grew up in a small town, um, and we never had any of these options. But as you get busier and take more on and have more responsibility and more people are um, relying on you for their lifestyle and their households and stuff like that, then you have to um, choose where you want to spend your time. And in choosing where you want to spend your time, you have to bring in people that are skilled and talented and do the jobs that you don't want to do. So I tell everybody, like, throughout your years, just make a list of things that you do and don't want to do. So if you don't want to wash your car, you don't want to put gas in your car, you don't want to um, make sure that your car is maintained. If you live in the snow, you don't want to shovel the driveway or mow the lawn or um, you don't want to wash windows. Like, just every single time there's a task to get done, if you do want to do it, just write it on the list. If you don't want to do it, write it on the list and find somebody else who is skilled at doing that thing. And how does ego affect the top 1%? What do their egos Uh, look like? How does it affect them? So you have two types of people. You have the super egotistical type of person. This is the show off. This is the elf personality that loves for you to see their car and their watch and their uh, mansion and you know, their lifestyle, they're very flamboyant and they need you to make sure that you can see them. Then there's the other kind that's like super quiet and reserved, but um, is very humble and appreciative. They'll invite you to dinner and they'll make sure it's paid for. Uh, they'll never ask you for anything, that, but they'll give um, of their time generously. They are very heavily involved in philanthropy. Um, they are the very quiet type. So, You've got two sides of the spectrum, and that's that's part of being the one percent. You got to choose which one. You want to be quiet and be the one percent. Um, and the rule about this is like the rich are loud and the wealthy are quiet. 
Hmm. I like that. I, um, I feel like I fall somewhere in the middle. <laughs> okay. Cool. Like there's certain things that I feel need a ruckus and certain things that, um, that I think can just go silently by the way, you know, mm-hmm. just in life in general. I mean, I like that. Yeah. And I mean, like, so everybody goes through certain things, like certainly a bankruptcy would humble somebody or a divorce would humble somebody or traveling to a different country and um, getting robbed would humble somebody. So I think the more you get humble, the less ego you would have. But the higher you uh, elevate yourself in a chain of wealth, like the more ego you tend to get. It depends on how you like attach or disattach yourself from the title that you're given and the responsibilities that you have. So where do you think Elon Musk would fall in all of this? Oh my God. <laughs> like, because I know Elon personally, like fucking off the chain, egotistical, a hundred percent, like a thousand percent. So Elon has a thing where he shows up as somebody to the world. But if you know him, he shows up as somebody else. So he has, I would call this a split personality trait or split personality characteristics where the world sees him as something and then those that are close to him know him as something else. Do you think that's for his own success and 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 survival? Of course. Okay. So, let, so let me ask you this, because I use Elon Musk a lot when working with people and talking about failure. I feel like yeah. he's such a great example of failure as a success like he's had so many so many different ventures that have not become the spacex's of the world so how does he go at new adventures or new ventures that um he knows may or may not succeed how does he ta- how does he go after something like what is the mindset that he goes into something obsession like and he does this with everything. So he'll show up at eight o'clock at night and be like, it's time to sleep. And at three in the morning, it will be wide awake, full on engagement. Like there was like, you don't get a personal life with Elon. You are obsessed about the task at hand, fully engaged with the task at hand. And if you do not complete it um, on a timetable, you bring up an excuse of why you couldn't because I don't know, didn't have enough money or you didn't have enough talent or you whatever the case is with him but at the end of the day his obsession is so high and his workload is so demanding it takes a very different type of person um to handle that so he doesn't half-ass anything is what you're saying he goes at everything 100 and if it and at some point he realizes hey this isn't what i want then he just abandons it and 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 goes on to his next passion. 100%, yep. And many successful people do that. Like, um, so I invested in a company for two years, and uh, I don't know, I wasted hundreds of thousands of dollars, and at some point I said, you know what, we've given this literally everything we got, we cannot give any more before we have to pull the table, so let's pull the table and walk away and go do something else. And it's not a failure, right? It's just a learning experience. So there's nothing ever that's a failure, it's a learning experience, Achieving a, a higher standard. 
And that's, and that's exactly what I always say is that, you know, the only thing, and I know people say this all the time, the only thing you lose from, you know, the only failure is not trying and, but, but really, truly everything is a domino. Everything is a building block. Everything can be a part of the next thing. I mean, I've abandoned things, um, that I was passionate about because they served me, they ran their course and they were done. And I was on to the next thing. And people say, wow, you've done so many things. And it's like, yes. And they've all contributed to the next thing in some way. I've been able to incorporate everything that I've done. And I have a book coming out in June. Um, that really, it was the first time it's traditionally published book. And it's the first time that I really realized all of these other books, all of these other things, they were all stepping, stepping stools. They were all stacking blocks to get to this thing to make me actually um, qualified to to put this book out this next book out I love that idea um, and I love that you can take on different things and be everything I mean um, earlier you mentioned that too when you were talking about titles and I promote this same idea that I hate when we ask kids what do you want to be when you grow up yeah. I'd much rather hear people say, what are all the things you'd like to experience in life? <laughs> um, I'd rather be like, who do you want to be? Like, because the thing is, like, we run through ideas. We also run through relationships. Um, and I, I don't think people talk about that. It's because at different levels in your life, you're not going to carry the same friends. It's just not what's going to happen. Um, so in your 30s, you typically don't have your high school friends. In your 40s, you're not carrying around your college dormmates. I once had someone tell me, uh, this was many, many years ago, that uh, people walk into our life for a period of time and hold our hand, and then they go down a different path, and that's how life is. And I, I love that. I love that idea that it doesn't have to be a bad thing. That um, we had, I even had someone once say that people come into our life like an antibiotic when we need to heal from something. And once we've, once we've finished the antibiotic, they go on. And it's not to say like we, you know, go through friends like shoes or something, but rather to say that people add different value to our lives at different times. Yeah, that's awesome. Like, I love those analogies. I always use the one um, about a train. So um, on the train tracks, there's different stops. So some people are going to get off and they know which stop to get off of. And then some people are going to get on and they're going to hang with you through the whole entire ride. So it's their decision whether they're on board for the length of the journey, which is forever, or for a period of stops before they choose to get off. That's so, that is so incredibly true. So incredibly true. Love that. Um, man, we, t- we, we like ran full circle today. We did like the whole a million topic thing, but um, I love it. I love it. I think that there's something for everybody in this episode. Um, <laughs> so I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of questions and we will have you back on with, um, with those soon. Um, but thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast today and sharing your insights to the top 1% of the nation and, and success and, and all sorts of different topics that we breezed today. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you for Michaela for having me. All right. Well, we will talk soon offline and I look forward to continuing our journey together in life for however long I'm on the train. (laughs) All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye, Melissa. Bye. 
After this podcast episode, Melissa and I chatted quite a bit about fashion and do women need to dress to the nines to command respect in their fields, whether that's mom, businesswoman, or whatever it might be. And she asked me, how do you dress? And I've never really chatted about that before. But my style, I don't know if you guys follow Champagne and Chanel on Instagram. If you don't, go check out her page. Oh my gosh. So cute. So whimsical. So fun. That is my style mixed with a little more boho. But for me, if I'm out running errands, guys, I'm wearing yoga pants and comfy Adidas cloud foam shoes. And if I'm speaking to a room, I'm dressing to match the room. If I'm in a therapy office, obviously I'm dressing up a little bit, but not like banker status. I don't think you have to dress a certain way to command respect. I feel like the confidence that you exude is picked up immediately when you walk into a room. And it's much more about feeling comfortable and pretty and beautiful and confident in what you're wearing. So for me, comfort is critical. And I just think that no matter what, if you're walking in your skin, being your authentic self, you're going to look good and you're going to be confident and people are going to recognize that. But all of that being said, I've never got this moms who take their kids to school in sweats and straight out the bed. I, it's not my thing. I have to get up in the morning. I get up before my son, do my morning routine, put my face on. So important to me, but I'm also a huge makeup lover. So maybe that's not important to you, but for me, that's what starts my day right. Whether I'm just going to come back home or whether I'm going to go out and run errands or whether I'm going on a business trip, it's important for me to start my day that way. So perhaps there's something for you that every time you do it, every time you start your day that way, you know you're starting it off right. Maybe it's not makeup or fashion related at all. Maybe it's just a little routine that you do in the morning that puts you in the right mind space to go out and tackle the world. I just wanted to share those thoughts because we had some great inspiring conversation after the podcast was over. This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. For more inspiration, check out the links.